Hello, and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Michael, and Andy was already working in the studio again today, so I just like, do you want to sit in on another episode? Oh, you want to to turn the camera on? Yeah, you want to turn the camera on and record an episode of True Crime Guys since you're here? Let me give the listeners a proof of life. Yeah. (laughs) That's right, dude. Let everybody know we're not mistreating you. That's right. (laughs) See? He's fine. I am fine. He's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's a ransom note just comes up. Right. What's that thing from uh, hey. Homeland? My fingers start doing the twitch thing, just Morse code it. Yeah. Andy's sending a message to all of our YouTube viewers. You better put those signs away, Andy. Speaking of YouTube, you guys can watch this episode on YouTube. So if you've only listened to the podcast, go check us out on YouTube, True Crime Guys. And uh, go subscribe and watch every episode instead of listening. Mm-hmm. I'm topless right now. You don't even that's, know. That's, you don't even know. You, you could. I could know. be. You don't even know. <laughs> Call me a liar. That's right. You only can on YouTube. And if you need to be more distracted at work, the video will do that. Absolutely yes. do that. And also there's pictures of what we talk about and whatnot. Um, last week, we were on Patreon. If you guys missed us and we covered the Texas Tower Sniper, which there is also a video for that. Um, but you still got a little taste of me and Andy here on the free platform with Strange Shorts episode 123. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys did enjoy that Strange Shorts, me and Andy do that show every single Monday and is available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Guys. It is fun too, so please check it out. It's always a, it's it always is. a different thing. And sometimes they are, yeah. you know, like the, if you just see a free platform episode, that could be what it is the next time, or it could be something just completely off the wall. So it could be. Yeah, <laughs> never know what Andy's gonna find. Um, but speaking of Patreon, I want to thank Sierra, uh, one of our patrons, for this suggestion this week. Um, is a local case, a local case for Sierra, I believe. Um, but yeah, Cheryl Felger, who we'll be covering in this episode. So thank you very much, Sierra. Uh, for that suggestion. And if you guys have any suggestions, patron or not, please, you can email us at truecrimeguys at gmail or hit us up on social media at truecrimeguys. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do want to join Patreon, now is a great time, actually, really because we're giving away, we brought back the gold creep van sticker. So plop, plop. years ago, when we first started Patreon, we would order these gold creep van stickers and uh, for $5 tiers and up, you would get the sticker in the mail when you signed up or, you know, within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to a point where we couldn't get those stickers anymore. The company we were getting them from wasn't making them, whatever. But we got them now. They're back in. So if you're a $5 patron now and you don't have a sticker, we'll, we're going to make that right. Send us a message. We will get you a sticker. And if you sign up on the $10 tier, we will send you a True Crime Guys Gold Creep Van sticker plus a custom TCG patch. Yep. That's right, right, guys. If you're if you're watching on YouTube, that is the gold sticker that's on the back of my laptop. That's normally on the screen. That's yes. the gold tr- uh, creep Boom. van. That's one of the OG stickers. That from is back in OG. 2016. I see. You also have the OG Strange and Unexplained back before I even knew what I wanted to do with a logo. Exactly, man. I like to represent <sighs> the old school. I'm the type of person that like, I just start stuff, you know, and just fill it out as I go. You know, <laughs> sometimes I just start a <laughs> thought and it's just I gotta start. I gotta start. If I don't start, then it just becomes a thought and then it's gone. I right? just start a sentence and it just ends up where it ends up. <laughs> Pretty much. That's podcasting Um, (laughs) in most of our freeform podcasting. But um, something that's not freeform podcasting is Sandu Stories. We work very hard on Sandu Stories. It is written and produced in-house here at True Crime Guys. Uh, Me and Andy do most of the heavy lifting, but we do have voice actors from other people in in True Crime Guys productions like uh, Lorne. You might remember Lorne from, you know, I don't know, 200 plus episodes. That guy? Uh, yeah. I remember <laughs> you that guys guy. know him. Lorne uh, plays a part in many of our Sandu stories as well as my wife, uh, Lorne's wife. Uh, we have friends, uh, friends of Andy's mm-hmm. have helped us out through the years. So we got Leroy from Excuse Me, That's Illegal. 
So we have a good time on Sandu Stories, guys. Lots of exciting stuff coming. And April 4th, which is uh, the day before this episode came out, we released A Brush with Death, which is a story about a young painter, Edward Blythe, who is hired to paint a mural in an old church and soon find out, finds out that its history is quite dark. And that dark past has come to collect a debt. That sounds so familiar. Why, where have I heard that before? Um, was it, did I hear that two weeks ago? You did, because <laughs> I said the wrong episode, you smartass. I know. Uh, I was getting to that. I thought I was about getting it too. to that. Yes, I announced that this episode came out two weeks ago, and I was wrong. I was wrong. It was actually Home Sweet Holmes, where I played H.H. H. Holmes, which was one of my favorite characters, honestly. Yeah, it was a real. It was a really fun character. Um, it was a really fun story to do. So It's a fun time to We make. did a true crime yeah. what if, yeah, based around H.H. H. Holmes. But yes, that came out two weeks ago, so I was a little behind on that. But this week's case, guys, like I said, it's a, uh, a local case. If you're in the Indiana, Ohio area, um, it's not that well known. There is not a lot of stuff about this case. There is not one YouTube video, not one until now. This son of a bitch um, made me read for this. this <laughs> Andy had to read. He's like, dude, there's no podcast and no video. What am I going to do? <laughs> like, yeah, you got to read. Yeah, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, so Andy actually had to read for this one, um, as as I did too. So there's not a whole lot of sources, but I did find some really good sources, and it is an insane story. It really is. The story in itself is riveting enough, and I also have a surprise story at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call it a good surprise. No, um, it's, it's not. A, it's not a good surprise. I mean, no. I don't know. I guess you like true crime. Um, you got. It's interesting. Okay, it's ex incredibly interesting. And so, because this case is shorter, you know, I, I knew we would be coming up on an hour, so I wanted to make sure you get your money's worth. So, we got a little surprise at the end, but uh, you ready to get into it? Yeah, I'm very much ready to. Let's do it. We'll see you guys after the intro. <sighs> now, I don't want to wish this on nobody else. Because here I am again. Taking a stroll through hell Why's it gotta be me? Wrong place, wrong time It could have been anyone in town Chalk it up to bad luck, I guess my horseshoe's upside down. Why's it gotta be me? Everything I work for, the future I couldn't see. Gone in an instant, no matter how much I plead. Why's it gotta be me? You wanna feel powerful, see what your hands can do. But you're born with an evil heart and 
dead is way past due Why's it gotta be me? Why's it gotta be me? Now I don't wanna wish this on nobody else Here I am again Taking a stroll through hell All right, guys, like we stated, our case this week is the murder of Cheryl Felger. So I want to give a little background on this case. It happened around Good Friday, which was April 12th, 1974. And by that time, the Felger family had experienced more than their fair share of tragedy. Starting in 1970, four years earlier, when Miss Felger, a wife and a mother of two teenage daughters, was driving to work in Indiana. Upon her return home, Miss Felger lost control of her car and crashed. She was dead on impact. Mr. Felger, after receiving a call from police, would make the drive to identify his wife's body. And four years later, he would make that drive again to identify the body of his murdered daughter, Cheryl and Felger. So let's back up. Um, like I said, not a lot on this case, period. So definitely not a lot on her childhood. But Cheryl Ann Felger was born April 1st, April Fool's Day, mm. uh, 1955 to Lee Jr. Felger and Ruth Ellen Felger. And like I said, we don't know much about her childhood. I assume it was pretty standard, um, happy and healthy. Um, obviously, aside from her mother passing in 1970, when she would have been 15 years old. So very tough time. It's never a good time to lose your mother, but very hard time. Yeah, for a teenage girl to lose her mom at 15. Yes. Uh, and she, I think she had multiple younger siblings as well, too. So Exactly, yeah. exactly. And Lee Felger, her father, had spent the last four years trying to be both a mother and a father to his daughters, while working full-time as well. And he was actually doing a pretty damn good job. Um, both of his daughters did well in school and appeared to have great futures ahead of them. Like Cheryl, his oldest, had just graduated from Van Wert High School and was among the top 10 students in her class. Um, I believe there was 270 that's uh, pretty... in her graduating class. That's, that's a good-sized class. That's yeah, a decent-sized class. Bigger than my high school class. <laughs> Um, and she was officially now, at this time, a freshman at Wright State University near Salina, Ohio. Cheryl didn't know what she ultimately wanted to do with her life, but it really didn't matter. Her friends and loved ones said that she was successful at everything she did, and her future was sure to be a bright one. So, now that I've sufficiently uh, broken your heart, let's... <laughs> <laughs> like always, why else right? am I here? Why else are we here other than to get our hearts broken? So, let's jump to that dreadful, good Friday... Strong quotes there, yeah. in 1974, okay? So April 12th, 1974, was a typical night in the Felger home. Dad was at work, and his two daughters were at home taking care of business in the household. Cheryl, was only 19 at the time, had made dinner for her father and her 17-year-old sister, Kay. Since her mom had passed, Cheryl kind of picked up a lot of the motherly responsibilities in the household, like cooking dinner, cleaning, helping her younger sister... You know, it's pretty typical for an older sibling. You know, they, they got to grow up fast. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And then with when they don't have a mother, they're growing up even faster. I mean, you don't really have much of a childhood. I think about the uh, the oldest daughter in uh, Shameless. You ever watch Shameless? Oh, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of her. Like, yeah, pretty uh, much. That's like having to take literally take over 
the household. Yeah, that happened, especially back at, at this time, back in the 70s like that. When you when you lose your mother and you have two teenage daughters, this this is a single father in yeah. 1974. So, yeah, he's like, it's, it's usually not the dynamic for the father to be a stay-at-home dad and do all these right. things. So he's, he's well, doing his... Well, they can't his, afford to. Yeah, either. he's doing his absolute best. He's working a full-time job. And so, yes, mm-hmm. she was 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You grew up a lot faster back then anyway. Well, she was 15 when her mom died. Yeah, when she was 15 when her mom died. So it's like you grew up fast. You grew up faster back in the 70s anyways. Right, right. And when you lose your mom as a teenager, you become the mother, especially to your younger one. Absolutely. It's just kind of a natural kind of fill-in thing. Yeah. But, you know, because she had so much responsibility, her father tried to give her the freedom and the time away that she needed. Yeah. Like this night, for instance. Uh, that night after dinner, Cheryl was actually planning to bike to a friend's house to meet up as they had planned a little night out on the town. Cheryl kissed her father goodbye, said goodbye to her sister, and took off on her bike. And they didn't know that they'd never see her alive again. Meanwhile, in another area of town, while Cheryl was headed to her friend's house, Ernest Richard Tope and Timothy Lee Heckert were on their way to Ohio from Decatur, Indiana. Heckert used to live in Van Wert and was planning on visiting his brother there. I guess Tope was just along for the ride. I don't know, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, well, these guys, I think they said they were kind of like just uh, local buddies. I was about to say, um, you kind of find out later that Tope did know a lot of people um, in Van uh, Van Wert. So I don't know if, you know, maybe he was like, oh, you're going back to Van Wert? Maybe they were both friends who moved to Decatur. I don't know. Yeah. But either way. Um, But Tope and Heckert, they were always in trouble somewhere. And they were infamous throughout Decatur for their shitty track records. And they lived day to day. They had no real direction and honestly spent most of their time just riding around and drinking. Yeah. Prior to their little trip to Ohio, they spent the whole damn day drinking, actually. So this is, you know, this is always a great precursor. That's a good Friday, I mean. Yeah. That's a good Friday. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. That's the best Friday you can have. Is a good I'm just gonna spend all day drinking. That's how yeah. I celebrate Good Friday. Right. But, <laughs> but don't drive Friday. around though. No, like this is a good Friday. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, here's a quote from Heckert. I'm gonna let Andy be Heckert for this episode. Tope and I'd ride around, drink on many occasions. Yeah, that's a, that's a good quote. Yeah. That 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 pretty much sums them up, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty good relationship. <laughs> but they did a hell of a lot more than ride around and drink on the day they met Cheryl Felger. It was around 8.30 p.m. when Cheryl left her friend's house returning home to change clothes for their night out. Also around that time, you got Heckert and Tope. Dude, it just occurred to me. These guys sound like a couple like strip mall attorneys or something. Heckert and Tope. <laughs> We're here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Heckert and Tope, attorneys at law. Exactly. Better call Heckert. Yeah, exactly. And if he's not there, call Tope. Tope? Topo? <laughs> Topo. Either way... Uh, these two knockoff lawyers, Heckard and Tope, they were stumbling out of a local Van Wert bar. And as they're driving down the road, they start to hear a clanging noise. Apparently, Heckard's car had uh, muffler problems. Um, you know, the kind of muffler problems where it just keeps falling off. Yeah, when you yeah. start seeing sparks drag behind Those your car. Those are the worst type of muffler problems. Oh, yep, I'm dragging again. <laughs> this was a regular thing. Like, they had to stop on occasion to reattach their muffler, I guess. Yeah, the duct tape just kept getting hot and melting off. It's it's weird, dude. It's weird. Um, But so they pulled into a gas station, Clark gas station to be exact. You know, I don't know, maybe some locals remember where that was, or maybe it's still there. I don't know. Uh, But they pulled into Clark gas station to fix the muffler, and they thought they might as well get some gas too and, you know, take a leak, whatever. So Tope jumps out and heads straight to the restroom. 
He's like, fuck this piece of shit. You fix it. It's your car. <laughs> your car. Whatever. I'll, 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 I got a piss. I, oh, I just got these oh. new white gloves. Right. I, uh, I got to go. Uh, yeah, you got this. Yeah, you got this. So Heckert threw on his work gloves and started to climb under the car. And while under there, a girl passing by caught his eye. And Heckert, here's a quote from Heckert when he saw her. Uh, I saw a girl go by while I was under the car, and I didn't know anything about her. But the bike had a flag on it, and she was wearing blue jeans. Mm, excellent recollection, Heckert. Yeah, Very good. thank you. Uh, I, I did it. <laughs> you did it. Tope and Heckert then left the gas station, but Tope's driving now. They drove three blocks and then turned around and started heading back towards Decatur. That's when they saw Cheryl on her bike. Tope then told Heckert some shit about wanting to see her relative, and he turned on to the street that Cheryl was on. Tope then told Heckert, let's pick her up and have a little fun. I was curious about this part because it says like that, you know, they just, they left the gas station and Tope was driving. Yeah. Do you think he was actually already following her? Absolutely. From the very, like. He, he saw yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. I know he saw her there, but I'm like, it, they kind of make it seem like, oh, they just happened to come here, across her again. Here's what probably happened. I'm pretty happened. sure they followed her. Yeah. Here's what probably her. happened. When Tope came back from the restroom, Heckert told him about seeing Cheryl. Oh, you see that girl on the bike or whatever. You know how, mm-hmm. you know how guys do. And Tope was just. In the right frame of mind, and he saw her too, and just had to have her, apparently. Yeah. So. Been drinking all day, thought, hell, why not? That's mine now. Yeah, pretty much. It's as terrible as it is. Um, so, basically, what Tope did was he followed Cheryl, then he pulled the car in front of Cheryl's bike, blocking her path. And then Heckert had this to say. I told her to get in the car, in a rough voice, and I opened the door. She offered some resistance, and I used force to put her in the front seat. Tope and Heckert obviously knew the area very well and took back roads into Decatur. Heckert then stated, I, I knew who she was by this time. I-, I asked her name and she answered, I'm Cheryl Felger. Heckert also stated that Cheryl kept asking, why has it got to be me? I don't know what they said to her, if anything, but they did. But what they did to her became very clear during Heckert's interrogation, where he stated, there were acts of natural and, and unnatural sexual relations in the back of that car. We did not stop the car. I, I drove while Tope was with her, and he, Tope, he, he drove while I was in the back with her. According to Heckert, Cheryl didn't fight him, probably because they told her if she submitted that they would release her in Decatur, which they did. They did tell her that. Yeah, they told her that, Those, that yeah, don't, don't fight us. We're, we're just yeah. gonna, we're just, you're just along for the ride. That's right. We'll let you out in Decatur, and you can catch a ride home or whatever. That's fucking lying bastards. But once they were done with Cheryl, both men ho- hopped up front and continued to drive, hoping that the muffler noise would drown out their conversation. Cheryl eventually becomes frantic, and through tears streaming down her face, she asked them what they planned to do with her. It was at this point that Heckert claims he voted to let her go. But Tope wasn't having it. He said, I'm going to kill her. I want to know how it feels to kill somebody. That quote comes from Heckert's testimony as well. And... Why would he lie about that? That is that is such a profound thing to say. I understand that you want Tope to take the blame, but there's ways of blaming the whole thing on Tope. I mean, Tope did it, but he did commit the the heinous act of murder. But yeah. Heckert did rape her as well. So, you know, he's going to prison either way. But I just don't understand why he would lie about this. This seems like... You know what I'm saying? This doesn't seem like an embellishment to me. I, that's... I, I kind of... I don't fully disagree, but I, the only shred of doubt that I have is because 
like a bit of, a bit of spoilers. Hecker or Heckert is the one that testifies against Hope. Yeah. So well, that's where of, we get most of this testimony. Yeah. So I feel like there's also a possibility that he would kind of embellish that. He said he wanted to know what it's like to kill someone because it makes it sound like, oh, well, if he doesn't kill her, he's going to kill me. So therefore, I'm kind of the victim here. Okay, interesting way to look at it. I'm threatened too. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes Tope seem even darker. So that it, you know, kind of, he's almost like trying to paint sympathy for himself. Right. Since he's the one testifying. Yeah. So that's, that was the only shred of like question that I had. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. But either way, Tope seemed to have had his mind made up. So Tope pulls into a small driveway near an abandoned barn that sits somewhere in Adams County. And as he gets out of the car, he pulls a knife out of the glove box. He then heads around to the other side of the car and pulls Cheryl out by the arm. Dude, this is some Jeepers Creepers shit right here. Yeah. Can't help but picture that. Like, right? The field, the barn. Yeah, the, exactly. The, the rural road. Like, and Ohio is full of roads like this. And in Indiana as well. I yeah. Mean, I mean, there's full of just fields, 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 fields. Nothing. Barn. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. But anyways, here's how Heckert remembers the situation. She she tried to get away, and I saw her run, but Tope pulled her back. I saw her go to the ground, and then I saw his hand go up and down. Tope was in his stocking feet as his shoes were on the floor of the front seat of the car, and I heard a faint scream, but I didn't look back or get out of the car. I saw Tope coming back to the car, and he was breathing heavy. And he told me she was dead, and I saw the knife in his hand, and it had blood on it. When it was over, Tope and Heckert hightailed it back to Decatur. At the first bridge they passed, Tope threw the knife into a creek, and they continued on to a trailer park where Tope washed his hands off in a lake. See, that was the, when I read back is like his testimony, it does, it, it kind of makes me think that he's trying to make it seem like he might have been, he may have been killed if he said anything or if right. he tried to stop it. Well, so at this point, yeah. Yeah. I a, mean, if he tells Tope, hey, I'm going to turn you in at this point, yeah, Tope has to kill him yeah or if he even says you shouldn't kill this girl but if, he, if Tope's like i want to kill somebody well, don't kill her well then he's gonna kill me yeah so it's that's why he's i feel like that's why he's saying these things to try and make it seem like well i had no choice yeah yeah, yeah. well they were doing a they were doing their best uh, to really clean themselves up and clean the uh, crime scene up because when they got back to decatur tope washed his hands again and his shirt at a car wash they also washed the car the best they could I just thought this was funny. I was like, you could have just threw Tope on top and like ran through the automated wash and then just get it all done at once. You yeah, know? just like let, I mean, let it lay across like Steve-O, just lay yeah, across the just hood. Let across, just let those things come across <laughs> and just scrub you. Um, but then I thought, wow, they probably didn't have automated car washes in the 70s, but they did because they uh, were invented in 1951. Hmm, so well, I'm still, for some reason, I still feel like they probably just had one of those like pressure washers getting the yeah. shirt and stuff. Yeah, rural America in 1970s. Yeah, rural Midwest. Indiana. Yeah, you probably don't have an automated car wash there. Especially since they've been driving but, for a while through like fields and barns. I just I don't feel like they hit like a big metropolitan strip. No, no. But something really interesting happened while they were at the wash, though. Uh, Tope asked Heckert for a cigarette because he had inconveniently lost his pack of Pall Malls somewhere, mm. which would come back to bottom in the ass. Good oh, for him. Right. Speaking of Pall Malls, though, uh, they were made in Reedsville, North Carolina up until the early 90s. Oh, you Tobacco were... Town, USA. I remember that. You told me about mm-hmm. that last week. I thought I was, yep. I was pretty interested in that as well. That's right. Old Reedsville, North Carolina. So if you smoke a Pall Mall anytime before 1992, I believe, uh, made right here, Tobacco Town, USA. But uh, two days later, Tope stopped by Heckert's place with a close friend named Danny Thornton. 
So this is two days later now. Everything seems cool. It's not hearing anything on the news. They think they've gotten away with it. Now they're trying to establish an alibi, okay? So Tope told Heckert that if any police contacted him to tell them that they were both fishing with Thornton. But it didn't matter what they told police because Heckert would be arrested the following Wednesday after his car was identified by witnesses at the crime scene in Van Wert. So is that the, I'm guessing I, that's the crime scene of when they abducted her. That's what that's the only thing uh, I was thinking. Yeah, I, I think so. Or maybe it could have been somebody who passed by the barn as well. Possibly. But yeah. yeah, I was I was genuinely thinking it was because they, they said they kind of you know, they pulled out of the gas station and she was biking down a street. Yeah. And I feel like that's like somebody probably saw them grab a girl yeah. in the street or something like that. Because, yeah, I was like, when there's like a witness at the crime scene, I was like, was somebody out at the barn? Right. I can just hear him trying to use that excuse. It's like cops are like, OK, so we have you here at this time, at the exact time of the murder. Can you explain what you were doing? <laughs> Heckard's like, uh, fishing? <laughs> So you were in the middle of a field with an old barn fishing. Fly fishing? <laughs> fly fishing. Yes, fly fishing. Good one. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll let them go then. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, it yeah, is I that mean, season. everybody goes fly fishing out in that field. Uh, I'm, I'm a bad one. Uh, Tis the season. <laughs> but yeah, as you can imagine, that testimony did not work well. So things started to move quickly after Heckert's arrest. He agreed to testify against Tope, as Andy talked about earlier. In exchange for his testimony, he pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and a sentence of 10 to 25 years in prison, which could not be suspended. Heckert was the main source of information as far as the play-by-play goes to the jury. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as far as the autopsy, the coroner who did the autopsy, Dr. C.H. Pan, also testified. And he stated that Cheryl had sustained six different types of wounds. That included 10 superficial slashing wounds, 10 superficial stab wounds, 58 deep stab wounds, one bad horizontal slash across their chest cavity, 15 superficial wounds on her hands, and two penetration wounds that struck body organs. That is 96 stab wounds. That is 96 stab wounds. That is very good math. Yeah, that is a that is a lot. That is a brutal. The way that Heckert kind of explains, he's like, I saw his hand go up and down, then he came back yeah. to stab someone ninety six times. 96, you saw his hand go up and down a lot. For he him. was out there for a bit. That's a lot. That of also damage. gives a little more credit to the statement of, "I just want to kill somebody." That sounds like somebody who went above and beyond because this is not a passionate killing. He doesn't know Cheryl Felger. Yeah, this isn't. A this is not a. This is not a crime of passion. This is not a cheating girlfriend. This is nothing like that. So maybe he did have this rage inside of him because I mean, how else do you explain stabbing someone ninety six times? That's insane. Yeah, I understand they're both very intoxicated, probably at this point too. They're both pretty drunk. They've been drinking all day. Yeah. So yeah, you have to assume that he's probably not the most accurate with all of everything he's doing, but right. still ninety six wounds. Yeah. It's yeah, it's over. Yeah, he wasn't very accurate and he wasn't very effective either because no. um, the coroner Pan also stated that Cheryl did not die quickly. Quote, she died less than one half hour after receiving the lung wounds, stated Pan. Those wounds were inflicted with great force. He also said Cheryl died of loss of blood, made exponentially worse by the knife wounds to the chest, which would made it difficult, if not impossible, to breathe. Yeah, she basically, if she would not have died of blood loss, she probably would have just, you know, choked on her own blood at this point. Like her lungs were filling up. She suffered that half hour. Absolutely suffered. The prosecution had more than enough evidence, though, at this point, even after, even after going through a car wash. Can you believe this? Including the knife. Tope, the, and Tope's drop pack of Pall Mall cigarettes as well. 
and the footprints of Tope in the mud at the murder scene. Because remember, he was wearing socks. Yes. So his exact footprint would have been in the mud. Um, and they also had a prisoner who testified that while in the Adams County Jail, he heard Tope say to another prisoner, quote, I killed that bitch, end quote. Yeah, I feel like Tope's the kind of person who would brag about this. Absolutely. Because he wasn't afraid. He was the one who's pretty much instigating the whole thing. His, yeah. I feel like the other guys probably were a bit afraid of him. Yeah, I think so. And yet, some of the most, even with all that, some of the most damning evidence may have come from Tope's good friend, Daniel Thornton, the guy who was supposed to be his alibi. <laughs> On Easter Sunday, two days after the murder, Tope went to Thornton and told him, quote, I am in a lot of trouble. We killed that girl from Van Wert, end quote. So there you go. Don't even sugarcoat it there, don't bud. Even, don't no. even He's don't just, even like lead me in. Yeah, that's extremely convenient. We got our guy. I guess um, you're trusting me a lot. Okay. Apparently. Bad, bad decision. So <laughs> Thornton said Tope read the newspaper and watched newscasts saying, quote, we might get out of this yet. They have no new clues. So he's sitting here watching, not only bragging about this crime, but also talking about how they're most likely going to get away with it. Yeah, they think it's so random. They, they can't track it back to right. us. It's like they got away with it for maybe like a few days. It's, yeah, barely. Right. But Thornton also described how he and Tope returned to the murder scene and tried to find the lost pack of cigarettes. Then stopping by the creek to find the murder weapon that he had thrown off the bridge. They found neither one, by the way. <laughs> they found neither one. I don't know how. Like, how'd you not find the cigarettes? The cops went right out to the crime scene and found them. Yeah. Like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he had them like rolled up in his sleeve and while he's like stabbing, he slung them and they... I, I guess I this, have no. Dude? I guess they. What the they hell? Looked like they walked out, and searched like children. Just got out of the car and were like, "You see him? No. Uh, I don't All see right, him. let's go. Just got him. right back in the car. Just, yeah. yeah. Or probably didn't get out. Just rolled the window in, drove by. Well, they nope, were probably no, paranoid. Yeah. They were probably pretty paranoid about going back to the crime scene, anyways. Oh, absolutely. So they probably, you know, they were in a rush. But on the way home from their unsuccessful trip, Tope told Thornton, "Quote: I had to do it." I'm the only guy around Decatur that's big with red hair, and I was afraid that she might identify me. Once they got home, Tope quickly realized that Heckert's car had been towed away by police. He knew the jig was up. So he went to the sheriff's office where he made a statement and went with the deputy to once again search for the knife. Now, as you can imagine, a jury had no trouble convicting Tope. And they had no trouble finding the knife either when they went back with the detective. Once an adult um, helped you. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, a jury in had... There. <laughs> but the jury had no trouble convicting Tope. The death penalty wasn't an option at the time in Indiana, so they gave him the next best, best thing, which was life without parole. Hmm. Um, Heckert, on the other hand, he pled guilty to second-degree murder and received a sentence of 10 to 25 years, but unfortunately, he was released after serving only 14 years. And since then, though, has been brought in back, brought back in court at least twice for unrelated crimes. So I have a question about the the only the last bit of the, the so they, they they have a witness that spots the the car and then I'm guessing the police they haven't found her body yet correct so but they still arrest Heckert because they the witness has already tied him to it yes but they so then they the two of them take them the, take the police to find the body correct right yeah, okay I was making sure because I, I couldn't really find that in the information the, yeah. when I first read through I was like when do they actually get the body like when do mm -hmm. they find the body right so yeah they kind of just skimmed over that in some of the information that I was reading so, yeah thank that, you like that. I said there is not a lot there's not a lot guys you kind of I I read like an entire coroner's report and court proceedings to find out a lot of these like little intricate details, but even even them, they're like buried in there. It's crazy. But a few years after Tope's conviction, which was life, 
Uh, Indiana law changed, making Tope eventually eligible for parole. This is some bullshit. And though he most likely would never get out, it was the fact that Cheryl's family would be forced to relive her horrific rape and murder again and again and again because Tope made the most of his opportunities. He came up for parole in 95, 96, 2001, and 2006, and they went through a full trial each time. He was denied each time, but like I said, her family had to live through that shit. They have, yeah, they have to go to the what, parole hearings. Times. They have to make, they have to make their case. They mm-hmm. have to relive that every time, possibly see him again. So, yep. Yeah. So the last time he was denied was 2006, and by this time, Tope had spent so much time in court that he basically fancied himself a lawyer or what they call a jailhouse attorney. Um, and the national spotlight shone upon him as he fought for prisoners' rights in the state of Indiana. And what rights might that be, you ask, Andy? Tell me what rights. What, what well, are these rights that he needed to fight so brutally to the nail a, for? It's a good cause. It's a good cause. It's the right to possess pornography. Uh, he actually sued the Indiana Department of Corrections um, because they could not have nudie mags in jail anymore. Man, it's hard to argue against this, actually. I mean, for you, for you, no. For some other people, yeah, they, that's fine. They're adults. But you, right. no. You don't get it. You don't right. get it. But I, I couldn't tell if anything came of it. Um, I, I'm guessing nothing did. And honestly, like uh, sexual predators like him, that should be part of, like, like Andy says, that should be part of your punishment. Yeah, honestly. no, you don't get it. You are a violent sexual offender. You yeah. raped, you murdered. No, yeah. you don't get to be like, hey, I can't jerk off in here successfully. What's the deal? Right? You're lucky you don't get chemical castration. You know you're lucky you didn't just like, get killed. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you're lucky real. somebody, you're lucky you're still making it in prison. Yeah. Well, he's not, because he died in 2012. Yeah, he died of lung cancer on August 30th, 2012. Get that Tiger Woods arm pump. Bam! Right? Yeah. Victory. I can't help but, when, you know, when I finish this story, I can't help but think about uh, Cheryl's father, right? You know, like, him and her sister. I mean, let's, let's back up a little bit, you know, because we covered the whole timeline of Heckert and Tope, right? But meanwhile, Lee Felger was sitting at home wondering where his daughter was when a Fort Wayne television newscast caught his attention. The newscast said that a body had been found in a field. He immediately drove to the houses of the two friends that Cheryl was supposed to be with the prior night, and neither one of them had seen her. He called Van Wert police and the Adams County Sheriff and made the drive to Indiana. And just as he had done to identify his wife four years earlier, when he arrived, he identified the body as his daughter Cheryl. And like Andy said earlier, she had been stabbed 96 times. That is, oh, that is the, the worst thing for a father. Like, not only have to do that for your wife, again, to do, like, to again, identify four years your, later, man. You're not yeah. even healed yet. I mean. No, and it, and it, I don't want to say at least, but when someone dies of an auto accident, you know, they lose control yeah. of a the car. There's a, there's easier ways to wrap your head around that. You That's know, it's right. A, it's icy. There's a, a accident. It's raining. There's yeah. so many things that, you know, you don't have control they over. They didn't suffer. Maybe they died on impact. Yeah. But like to know someone did, but... took your loved one from you and brutally attacked them. Yes. Yeah. It's a, de- it's just devastating for him. No doubt, man. And Cheryl's father fought tirelessly every time Tope came up for parole. Like we said earlier, he had to relive that shit four different times. Sadly, Mr. Felger passed away in 2009. His dying wish was that his daughter's killer would never be released. And thank God, Mr. Felger did get that dying wish because Tope never stepped foot outside of prison. And he died, like we said, in 2012. Yeah, at least uh, so, at least he never had to go through another parole hearing either. Like his last one was 2006. So. That's right. Yeah, never so, even got another parole hearing after that too, either. Nope. Nope. 
I mean, uh, fuck that dude, man. Yeah, how many Honestly. parole hearings can you get? Especially when you're that Like I said, the law changed. Violent. When he got convicted, he was ineligible for parole. Yeah. And then the circumstances changed and he took full advantage of it. Like I said, he studied law and, you know, took tried to take it in his own hands to get out, but he, he couldn't do it. Yeah, he seems more like just a weasel. He was one of the guys who just tried to find loopholes anywhere to get what he wanted. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't about, he wasn't trying to help anybody. He was just trying to get himself more shit. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm wondering. How many times can you even be eligible for for parole when you're a, when you're a convicted raping, rapist murderer? Yeah. How many, how many parole hearings do you get? Like I said, it depends on the state. It depends on their current laws, you know? I feel like if after the third time and they're still like, no, you're still fucked up. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I don't think you're getting any better. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Especially with sexual predators. Like it's, it's very rare that they're able to be rehabilitated. But guys, that is uh, all I could find on the murder of Cheryl Felger. Um, incredibly dark case. Um, I feel like, God, I, I don't know. I, I hate to say that it's like a standard type case from true crime, but I feel like every town has a very similar case. They do. They really do. And maybe that's what has kept this case out of the spotlight because we don't know so much. But then again, we have Heckert's testimony where, I mean, almost a play-by-play. Yeah. Um, But it is, either way, it's a heart-wrenching case. And I know there, I guess there was closure because the killer, he did die. Tope did die in prison. I don't know about Heckert. I mean, I guess Heckert's still out there kicking and, you know, getting misdemeanors and shit. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I did. The only thing I did follow up, I, I saw I saw one report that said Heckert was, like, arrested two years later again, but on unrelated yeah. charges. Yeah. So it's like he's just, you know, he went right back to his old life. He's just uh, a yeah. deadbeat, you know, low life who's just committing petty crimes. Yeah. So. That's exactly right. Um, But, like I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, guys, we have another story that we want to cover. Obviously, in a much more condensed format, um, but this is this is a little surprise case. This is a case that I discovered while trying to find information on Cheryl Felger, um, and it's it's not really related to the Cheryl Felger, Felger case in any way, other than it's a stabbing. But it is a brutal, insane stabbing um, committed by a mother. So there's a woman named Deborah Jeter. Okay, and in May in 2009, Lester Lee Jeter, her husband, filed for separation from Deborah, uh, which who was the mother of their two daughters, Kelsey and Kirsten. They are 13 and 12. Michael, you're saying it wrong. It's it's Jetta. 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 Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the pronunciation of one of the videos that we watched for this. We just but, heard yeah, English people apparently had never watched baseball. And they were yeah, saying, seriously. Derek Jetta. You don't know Jeter. What if it is Jetta? I don't think it, I don't, I don't think it is. It's Jeter. We're saying Jeter. We're saying Jeter. And blame it on Derek Jeter if it's not. But uh, but it's not really clear uh, why Lester filed for separation, but Deborah was not handling it well at all, to the point where she actually attempted suicide in front of her children. Now, she did receive psychiatric help in the form of a stay at the DePaul Center in Waco, Texas. Her husband, Lester, told the court that he's still worried about placing the girls in her care. The court granted Lee a temporary restraining order against his wife, Deborah, but Lee knew it, or Lester, they call him Lester, they call him Lee sometimes um, in different articles, but Lester knew it wasn't a permanent fix and pushed for full custody of his daughters. Yeah, and this, if I, if I remember correctly, this is only like a three-week restraining order. Yeah, it's it, not a permanent thing, but um, he, at that time, I think he was like, let's just do this now because we can get this passed and we'll work on getting getting her custody dropped pretty yeah. much. I just, I feel like that was such, that's such a weird time frame. I would, I, 
I feel like you would think like 30 days, 60 days, something yeah. along those lines of like a month, but three weeks, like not even a full month, not a week, not yeah. like 48 hours, but that's just a weird time frame for me. Yeah. I never really understood that one. I know, right? But court documents state that Lester requested custody, quote, to protect the safety and well-being of the children and any other person who has been a victim of family violence committed by Deborah Jeter. So in this document, he is alleging that she has committed some type of family violence. Wouldn't you gather mm -hmm. from this? Okay. Well, I mean, I would consider but, um, attempting suicide in front of your in front of your children as family violence, whether it's absolutely you know, trauma right there. You tried absolutely. to kill yourself. That's violent. Absolutely. But upon her release from the DePaul Center, the restraining order against Deborah had been lifted, allowing her full access to her children again. And here's what's crazy. By this time, upon her release, Lester actually agreed with the court's decision and supported his ex in seeing the children again, also stating that Deborah harbored no resentment towards the children and has never hurt them. Mm. That's a... So he completely flip-flopped. Um, and, and listen, your wife, your, your loved one gets out of rehab and it's like, maybe they are better. You know what I mean? That's the whole point of it, right? And you mm -hmm. want to believe that. So it's like, you almost can't even blame him at this point. No, I, 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 almost like, I'm just like, excuse my, my humor here, but it almost feels like she got out of rehab and just like fucked his brains out. And he was like, oh yeah, she's fine. I'll, I'll let her, she can stay. That's fine. Like, that's just my, that was my whole thoughts. Like, your wife came back. Yeah, that and, is a really harsh way to put it. And Andy, then, like, we've all, all thought it. We, we all thought I it. I was genuinely thinking, yeah. like, oh, yeah, she just sucked your dick so well that night when you got back. She was like, oh, yeah, my wife, she's a doll. I, yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect angel. I, I hate to, yeah, <laughs> I know. We're, we were all thinking it. But in June of 2009, Deborah's daughters, Kelsey and Kirsten, hadn't seen their mother in two weeks and were super excited about spending time with her. Here's a, uh, a post from Kirsten's MySpace. <laughs> MySpace was at the time, so there you go. Yeah, um, updates this story. Right. Quote, I get to see my mom tomorrow. Yay. So she was genuinely excited. Um, Deborah picked them up around 6 p.m. and told them that she had a surprise for them at the store. Deborah had apparently promised them a night of book reading and karaoke. But instead... She drove them. Were you going to say something about book reading and karaoke? Well, no, I was like, I was, cu I was curious about the book reading thing. It was more or less like, was she taking them to, to for someone to read books to them or like to a bookstore? I was just, I didn't That's a good question. Because I, I used to go to bookstores I, all the time just to read. Yeah. Like just I'll go find a few books I, I want to check out and sit down with a coffee. Yeah. So that, I like, do I, love a good bookstore with a coffee shop in it. Yeah. I'm like, that's actually an amazing night. Nice. So that's a, that's a hot surprise right there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They were excited about it. But instead... She drove them to an abandoned house in rural Hill County where she almost immediately proceeded to attack her two daughters with a knife. Starting with her oldest daughter, 13-year-old Kirsten, who, while being attacked by her mother, had the, had the wherewithal to scream at her 12-year-old sister, Kelsey, to run. Deborah stabbed Kirsten one final time in the back before she fled after Kelsey, catching up to the girl and slashing her throat and killing her on the spot. Miraculously, Kirsten, the older daughter, survived the attack but was living on borrowed time. Despite, despite nursing a slashed throat, Kirsten told her mom to call for help. She pleaded with her mom to call for help. And by some miracle, she actually does. Yeah. And we have that 911 call. And guys, just a fair warning, this is very hard to listen to. It really is. It is. It, the state that Deborah Jeter is in is obviously insane 
Yeah, and uh, the oh, calmness and, uh, in her voice it will give you goosebumps. It is it is shocking to hear this, especially if you are a parent. It is hard. Um, I wanted to remind uh, our listeners one more thing, as Michael did say, like she stabs her eldest daughter in the back and then goes to kill the youngest one. Yes. She then comes back and slashes Kirsten's yes. throat. Yes. And then That's... her daughter pleads for her not to kill her. So it's yes. not like she's like she comes back and tries to finish the job. Yes, she does. So this is a. This is just brutal, guys, and we're going to play this for you right now, and just uh, just fair warning. Hill County 911, what's your emergency? I just killed my children. Excuse me? I just killed my children. Where are you? Um, I'm in the abandoned house on Highway 77 right after you go underneath the highway. One of them's still alive. Hurry. How? Under what highway? You're on Highway 77 where? I'm on Highway 77 right after you go under 35 going towards Milford. Get an ambulance out here to save the one that didn't die. Come on. Hurry up. What's your name? Bitch, call them. Have you already called them? Yes, ma'am, I have. Okay. I need your name. I don't want to tell your name. Hello? Hello. Are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Seven toward Milford, right after you cross under the bridge. She's telling me she's killed her children. Are you in your car? No, I'm not in my car. I'm in the house walking around. And um, one of them's still alive, for real. She's asking to be saved, and I couldn't handle that. side of the road or the left hand side of the road, sweetie? They're coming. They're coming. I just I would just want to try to clarify clarify exactly where they are. Can you tell me what happened? Partners getting getting them to you just as quickly as she can. How many? How many children do you have? Huh? Two. Two. 
dead. One of them is dead. She's dead, dead. But the other one, she wants to be saved. And I'm, she needs to be saved. And I don't see any lights. Tell them to get the fuck out here. Honey, they're I coming. Here. They're coming. <laughs> Do you have any weapons? Um, I do. I have a knife. She has a knife. Could I throw it away? No, ma'am. Just, just put it in. She's got a knife. She's just hurry. Okay. Tell her we're on our way. She won't give me. Can you not tell me what your name is? Yes. Huh? Oh, What's your name, darling? I'm not telling you my name. I'm not telling you darling. How old are your children? Hold on. What's your name? What's your name? Hurry up. Honey, they are coming. They're on their way. You should be hearing lights and sirens. Seeing lights and hearing sirens. You said you just you cross under the bridge that goes to on 77 toward Milford. You cross under the bridge to 35, and you're in an abandoned house. Is that right? Yes, under 35. Cross and under 35. On 77, the abandoned house up on the hill on the left. I just up. She says she's in the. Sweetie, do you hear them now? Do you hear those sirens and stuff? from different parts of the county. Hold on, kid. They're coming. Tell them not to shoot me. I don't have a gun. Okay. She doesn't want to get shot because she doesn't have a gun. Okay. When they get there, uh-huh. I want you to lay the knife down. Out When you get the door open, I want you to lay the knife down so they can see that you don't have any weapons.
Oh my God, she's dead. Oh my God. How old are the children? I won't tell you. She wants you to hurry. Honey, they are coming. They're coming as fast as they can. They're trying to be sure. Do you see them? They're coming. Do you see them? Do you see them? No, it's from her. They're coming. Hold on. I can you see the lights? No, I see something down at the end of the road. I see car lights, but not, not fire lights, not police lights. She says there's the driveway. She says there is. She can I hear see. I hear them. Okay. Do you see them? No, I don't see them. Okay, you need to. I know, I understand that. I want. She stayed. By the house, both hands up, except for one. Because I'm on the phone. They're She's got her hands up, except for the fact that the one that she's on the phone with. So she's out in the yard. She says she's out in the yard beside the house. Okay, Goodbye. I see them. They're right here. Goodbye. All right. Bye. Yeah. So, kind of hard to listen to. Yeah, like we talked about, especially especially if you're a parent or anything um, like that. It is it is tough to the, imagine that. She had yeah, she had some type of breakdown. She did because just to talk that casually, and then also, um, I, I couldn't help but notice that she never referred to her daughters by name. Or did she even say she or her? I feel like she's like, the other one wants to live. She ke- she just kept saying that. She's like, one of them. They want to live. She wants to live. Or I guess she did say she, but yeah, she would say like one of them. The, I, she's like, one's dead. The other one wants to live. Yeah, like one's already dead. Like they're just objects. Yeah, um, one's, one's dying. She's bleeding out. You better get here quick. Yeah, Hurry up. That's what blew me away about it, man. Just the nonchalantness about it. And then getting mad at the authorities for like not being there. It's like, my daughter's going to die. It's like, well, yeah. Y- you slashed her throat. You stabbed her. You tried Jesus to kill her. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's... it's... Well, anyways, uh, luckily authorities arrested her and placed her placed her on suicide watch at Hill County Law Enforcement Center. Um, Hill County Sheriff Jeffrey T. Lyon called the scene horrific, obviously. Kelsey was laying dead in the bathroom while Kirsten held on to life in the bedroom. She, Kirsten, was cut from one side of her neck all the way to the other her father told CNN, and her airway was cut and one of her main arteries were cut. Yeah, I, she. I guess she thought that slitting their throats would be the quickest way, but no. No. Not like Those that. Those poor girls suffered. And Kirsten had lost a lot of blood but was conscious when help arrived. A medical helicopter airlifted her to Parkland Hospital where she underwent life-saving surgery. Um, prosecutors ended up charging Deborah with murder and attempted capital murder, and the court set her bond at $1.5 million, dude. That is a lot. But yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I still think it's so amazing that like that girl was cut from ear to ear, basically. Her airway is cut. Her mm-hmm. artery is cut. And she's she still manages to talk, to, yep. to reason with, to stay conscious that whole time. Yep. That is, for a 13-year-old girl, that is intense. 
Yep. And I, I can't even imagine that. How much blood could she have lost by that point? I, dude, it's it's crazy that she hung on. It really is. And then you heard, really, the response was pretty damn quick. I mean, they got there over the course of the phone call. Yeah. Honestly, in all things considered, that was pretty damn quick. You have to just wonder how long before she, after she cut her throat, did she actually make a phone call? It's like, how, how many times did her mm. daughter have to plead with her right. before she actually called the police? That's a great point. So it's like, that's a, a, an unknown window of time where she could have just been, because she even said, I think she, if you hear at one point, she says like, oh yeah, she was begging me, she was begging to live. So I, I couldn't take that. So I left. Mm. Like she says like, oh yeah, she was, she was crying too much. Yeah. To asking, I, to, asking to live. So I, I couldn't take that. Maybe she snapped back from her little psychosis event and decided she wanted to be a mom, but then she realized it was too late. Yeah. Because then you uh, hear her even like talking to her daughter yeah. a little bit, almost motherly. Like, what, yeah. what's that? What's that, honey? What's that? I'm, I'm talking okay. to them. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like yeah, it's they're like, on their way. Like it's a sore throat, or Dude. like you're like you like you broke your leg outside or something. Yeah, yeah. She, her brain just does it's, not register. It's cringe, man. It it's doesn't tough. register what she has just done. No. Yeah. Not at this point, anyways. Um, but her daughter Kirsten responded well to surgery, and four days later was out of intensive care and on the mend. And I'm guessing today she is she is okay. Um, there were other sources on this. Like I said, I just wanted to, to shed light really because of that 911 call. Like it is so insane. Yeah. It's just, it's appalling. It really is. Um, but just like sources for Cheryl Felger, the sources for the, uh, Deborah Jeter case are below this description as well, guys. Yeah. We did hear from, uh, from Kirsten's father. Uh, he did say that he actually did, was able to take the surviving daughter to visit the mom yes. in prison and that, because like we talked about, she had such a severe mental break. Yeah. It's, it, she was not in her right mind anymore. No. She, she broke and she said that when, they, when the daughter was able to talk to her, they, they, they shared a few moments of levity, levity together. But yeah. like he said it, he knows that this will never, they will never speak outside of prison glass again. No. Like there's no way. Absolutely not, dude. Uh, you can't, you, you, you could not. I don't know, especially as like the other parent. It's like, how yeah. could you trust her again to be like, no, you can never have that, that back. You can't, dude. You really can't. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. No, there's not. But I hope you guys, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hate to say that. I really do hate to say enjoyed. Yeah, but, it's uh, hard. Especially this, it is, is a, this is also a yeah. different kind of episode. We're kind of it throwing a little, a little bit of a curveball here at the end. And right, right. Like I said, I wanted to give you, you know, your full money's worth. Your full money's worth. Just like you get with Oh My Gaia. You, you know what I'm lot. saying? You get your you money's get worth there. You get your money's worth with Oh My Gaia. You guys don't know what that is. Oh My Gaia is an all-natural beard, beard, deodorant, and scented oil company that uses uh, aluminum-free and paraben-free ingredients, guys. I do not know at this point, guys. I, get it. Seriously. Get on Get it. Oh My Gaia in your pits. In, in all your pits, right? Oh not my. just your armpits. Oh My Gaia. All of your pits. Any right? pit you got, it, put it in there. That's right. <laughs> and there's tons of scents to choose from, guys, uh, from our very own True Crime Pine. There's also Cherry Almond and Lavender and uh, Lumberjack, Lemongrass, Vanilla. Tons of scents to choose from, guys. Like we said, if you don't know where to start, start with True Crime Pine. You Absolutely. know what I'm saying? Start with True Crime Pine because you're already a True Crime Guys listener. I mean, Just come represent. on. represent. It makes perfect sense, mm -hmm. right? Then when everybody um, asks you in the office, like, mm, what's that smell? You'd be like, True Crime Pine. That's right. From True Crime Guys. Exactly. Exactly. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can get 15% off your order by using code word CREEPER. 
That's code word CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Okay, guys, again, code word CREEPER for 15%. You can also use code word CREEPER for tonic CBD. Because if you want to get the right vibes, Mm -hmm. tonic is for you guys. And you do want to get the right vibes. Because it is true that not all CBD products are ever created equal from how the hemp is grown to how it's processed and how it's formulated and put right into your body. Boom. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. And the original formulas that use CBD, adaptogens, and herbs and superfoods have been mm. working together together Gotta to deliver the, the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products mm-hmm. possible. Not only for us, but for the planet. That's Remember right. that planet. That's right. Tonic cultivates their own hemp and their or- from their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their distribution facility when it's turned into a finished product. It's all nice. It's shiny. It's packaged. Right. Got a guarantee right there on the box. Mm. And it has been sent to you to ensure the highest quality vibes for every stage of your process. And if you guys want to listen to us with those vibes in your head, just get those nice mm-hmm. vibes and our, our sweet voices are in your ears, you can go to tonicvibes.com and use code word CREEPER for 20% off your order. That's right, Guys, 20%. That is, that's 20 whole percent. I don't even know how much you're going to spend, but 20%. Yeah. Take it off. Take it off. Take it right off. <laughs> One take, fifth. Get it out of here. Take a little bit right off the top, guys. 20% off the top. Now it's 80. Yeah. You guys get it. That's math. I don't do math very well. (laughs) But guys, visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word CREEPER for 20% off. That's right, guys. And also, like we said at the beginning of the episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon, guys. Patreon.com slash guys. We're just five bucks a month. You can get access to everything we create here at TCG Productions. So much Which, if you ask us, is a hell of a lot. It is so much We're in the studio quite a bit these days. Yeah, Um, the smell in here is bad. It's it's bad, but it looks nice. (laughs) It does. Um, (laughs) The bucket size empty. And if you'd like to see what it looks like, don't forget about YouTube, guys. Subscribe. Go like the video on YouTube. Uh, tell your friends about it. We appreciate that very much. Our YouTube channel has seen crazy growth over the last few months um, since we started doing the, you know, more, I guess, interactive videos, if you will. Yeah. Because when we first started YouTube, we just put up audio with a picture of our logo. But now there's actually video of us in the studio, and you also get pictures that are relevant to the case, crime scene photos, um, you know, all types of good shit like that. So yeah. And you got captions that are automated by YouTube that are probably wrong. So They're probably wrong. You got that. Um, <laughs> I just keep moving my mouth like this so that YouTube can never tell. <laughs> That's exactly Like right. an old samurai film. I don't think it goes by your, I think it goes by your audio, Andy. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm going to try and throw them off. You're throwing me off, that's for sure. Kristen's going to be trying to line up the audio on this beat and be like, what the hell is his voice doing? <laughs> I can't hear his voice, but his mouth just won't stop. <laughs> I have a right stroke. On, guys. Well, we're, we're going to stop our mouths, guys. We made it to an hour. So I hope you guys, in, uh, like I said, enjoyed these two cases. I hope you learned something new today. Um, if you enjoyed the show, like we said, go tell a friend. Go give us a follow on social media, at True Crime Guys, wherever you are. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess you guys can uh, keep creeping. Until next week. Absolutely, guys. Oh, yeah. one more thing. Don't what forget our TikTok at underscore, oh, yes. underscore True Crime Guys, underscore. underscore. Because uh, True Crime Guys was already taken. Yeah, bastard. Uh, so uh, my daughter, Melody... Uh, is helping us learn TikTok because we're two old fogies and we hate TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Melody is, is a this t- hairline. This is not a TikTok <laughs> this hairline. This is not a TikTok hairline right here. Um, so Melody is taking clips from our YouTube videos and putting them on TikTok. Guys, please go give us a follow. Uh, go share our content on there. We appreciate that very much. Speaking of my talented and wonderful daughter, Melody, she has also designed a brand new merch design completely from scratch. It'll be our 
not our first completely original design, um, but it's the one I'm most proud of. It's I really new, am. It's the first I think, one of the rebrand. Yes, the first one of the rebrand. I think you guys are going to love it. Um, we'll probably do some custom patches with the design first, and then maybe we'll release it on our um, Threadless page. So you guys can get that design on anything from T-shirts to freaking socks, book bags, tapestries, posters, hoodies, whatever you want. Need so, to get some strange shorts. Some strange <laughs> shorts. You can put it right on the butt of the strange shorts. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Anything else, Andy? No, I'm good? good, man. You're good? All right. Well, guys, we'll see you next week uh, for a new case. All right. Until then, just keep on creeping. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to check out all the other shows on our TCG network, as well as subscribing to our YouTube channel. Starting every Monday with new episodes of Strange and Unexplained, followed every other Tuesday by our audio drama podcast, Sandu Stories. Then, of course, new episodes of True Crime Guys every Wednesday, and if that's not enough, head on over to our Patreon, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of exclusive content, including older episodes, strange shorts, the latest edition of Sandu Stories, and of course, higher thoughts. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. You hush your mouth, boy.